you have to know whatever market you invest in as well as you possibly can. So you need to know what properties are worth first off. And once you figure that out, it becomes much easier um, deciding what to buy, where to buy. And my first rule of thumb with rental properties was always buy them below market. I mean, it's kind of like I'm flipping a house, but I'm going to keep it. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Building a rental property empire. That's exactly the topic we're chatting about today. But first, you know the drill. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the number one podcast geared toward helping international investors break into the U.S. market and start buying cash-flowing deals. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. So you know on this show, we only educate our listeners about the benefits of investing in U.S. real estate and how to maximize cash flow. I only talk to successful real estate entrepreneurs who are absolutely killing it in their chosen businesses. And I've interviewed some incredible people and some industry leaders. And you know what? Today is no different. Awesome content from awesome entrepreneurs, all with the intent to educate others. So let's get cracking and into today's show. Today, the entrepreneur in the hot seat is Mark Ferguson. Mark has been a real estate investor and real estate agent since 2001. Mark has flipped over 100 houses and routinely flips between 10 and 20 houses a year. He also owns 16 rental properties and runs a real estate sales team of 10 who regularly sell between 100 and 200 houses a year. Mark started Invest for More in March of 2013 to discuss his rental property investing techniques. Mark expanded Invest for More to talk about his flipping business and his real estate agent business. He's also the host of the Invest for More podcast and the, the author of four best-selling real estate investment books, one of which, which is titled Build a Rental Property Empire. So let's get him out here. G'day, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Reed. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, mate. Absolute pleasure. I ooh, that was a you know, bit of a mouthful, but you've done some incredible <laughs> stuff, mate. What you know? How are you doing all this? How you how you how you find time uh, to have a family and everything else? Teamwork. That's I mean, delegation and having people help me out is the only way I can do it. I'm I'm a big believer in family time and having free time. So. People don't believe me, but I don't work 40 hours a week. Nice, um, nice. I, I have to save enough time for myself. I, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm sure you're a big fan of leveraging other people's skills and ability, right? Oh, for sure. I've yeah. got, like I said, a, a team of 10. Most of them are agents, but a couple of them are assistants who are just awesome and help me do everything. That's awesome, mate. But you know, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a, such a successful real estate entrepreneur? Um, you know, I talk about it some, but I mean, I am an introvert at heart. <laughs> so when I was growing up, I would, you know, I was that kid who hid behind his parents' legs and would not talk to anybody. So um, my dad was kind of the same way, and he grew out of his shell. And um, the blog, the podcast, has really helped me 
expand myself and get out of my comfort zone. So that's one thing that a lot of people don't know. Interesting, interesting stuff. Um, you don't strike me as a person that is an introvert, but you know, it's uh, it's something that we don't know about you. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, but do you want to elaborate a little bit more on your background? I gave a bit of an introduction. You've been investing since two thousand and one. You seem like you have an awesome, you know, portfolio of rental properties, and you've got a great business. But how did you get started in re- uh, real estate investing? Um, so I graduated. I'm from Colorado. Mm-hmm. I graduated from the University of Colorado with a finance degree. And my sole motive was to make money, and that's why I chose that degree. But around 2000, 2001, I could not find an awesome job that would let me be their CEO right away and make as much money as I thought. So (laughs) um, I ended up working with my dad, who'd been an agent since 1978. And it's just a part-time gig. I just do that until I figured out what I wanted to do. I ended up getting my license, and he flipped houses once in a while. So he might flip a couple houses a year. And I really fell in love with that side of the business. Um, I liked being an agent, but I really loved flipping. My career progressed. Um, I discovered the world of REO and HUD listing, so listing foreclosures for banks. That's when I took off as an agent, started making good money. I really wanted to invest my money somewhere where it would grow. And the stock market was just so up and down. I didn't feel like I had any control of anything. I, I did not like it. So even though I was in real estate, I researched every possible thing from franchises to businesses to bonds. And I just kept coming back to rental properties. So I started buying rentals in 2010 and bought you know as many as I possibly could in my area. And I just loved it. I love rentals. Um, unfortunately, our market has gone insane, which is great for the properties <laughs> I have now, but it makes it really hard to buy good rental properties at this moment. <laughs> right, right, right. That's interesting um, because you talk about control of your business. Um, you know, people constantly invest in the stock market and to, you know, people like you and I, we sort of look at it as a little bit different, right? We don't, we want the controlling and real estate provides it to us. So it, it must have been a pretty interesting coming from finance. Did you, did it, was a bit of an easy transition going from finance to real estate? You know, it, it wasn't too bad, but really in school, I mean, they just teach you to get a corporate job to invest in the stock market, work your way up the ladder. And it, I kind of tried that route, but in the back of my head, I knew it just sounded miserable to me (laughs) to to do that. And so um, once I got into real estate, I realized, wow, I actually have control of what I'm doing. I'm not relying on anybody else. And the finance aspect really helped me with the numbers, with the business side, because you really are running your own business, even as an agent, you know, you're running your own business. Yep. No, hundred percent. I think that's really, really important. And and you know what you said about the the, the financing side, and not not everyone has a numbers background. You don't have to be a numbers background, but it definitely helps, right? <laughs> Coming into real estate investing. So, mate, with that being said, do you want to just dive into the uh, understanding how to build a rental property empire? Uh, you've written a really awesome book about it, about developing a rental property empire. So, do you want to start in the beginning? So, what inspired you to write this book to to educate others about building a rental property empire? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I had not written anything since college, and um, my friend and I, who actually became my team manager, we work together now, I decided to start a blog in 2013, and I just started writing, and I was not a good writer. <laughs> my grammar was horrible, um, but along the way, I learned, and people liked what I was writing. They reached out to me. They talked to me, and it was really fun, and from that blog, I learned so much. You know, I kind of thought I knew a lot about investing in real estate. But I've met a lot of other people, learned so much myself from researching different topics. And eventually people just, you know, asked me for more and more things. And I decided to put everything that I knew about rental properties into a book to make it easy for people to 
reference, make it flow well, and um, just try and help people as much as I could in a, you know a low cost format um, to reach as many people as possible. Right. So when you wrote the book, did you have uh, many of your rental properties under your own belt at that time? You know, you've come from you know the school to ho- school of hard knocks, so to speak. Yes. I mean, that book I finished actually earlier this year. Great. So I had, I think I had all 16 rentals at that point um, when I finished the book. But I mean, I had worked on it for quite a while. You know, it takes a while to complete a book. It's about <laughs> 370 pages. So it's not just a little, you know, yep, not <laughs> just a little page <laughs> thing. Little, little ebook online, right? Right. <laughs> so talk to us about identifying, you know, you took, I, I did read a little bit about your book and, you know, I, I did purchase it online. But talk to us a little bit about identifying how much, if you are paying too much for a property. I know one of the chapters has all the nuts and bolts of, of how to do that. But what do you personally, and to the listeners out there, how do you try and make sure you're not paying too much for a property? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think is knowing your market. You have to know whatever market you invest in as well as you possibly can. So you need to know what properties are worth first off. And once you figure that out, it becomes much easier um, deciding what to buy, where to buy. And my first rule of thumb with rental properties was always buy them below market. I mean, it's kind of like I'm flipping a house, but I'm going to keep it. But I want to get them, you know, 20, 30% of what they're worth. And along with that, I want to make sure they cash flow every month. I'm not one to buy properties hoping they're going to go up in value at some point in the future and I can cash out. I want them to make me money from the second I buy them. And that goes into knowing your rental rates in your area and being able to properly figure your costs. You know, you need to know what vacancies are going to be, what maintenance there's going to be. You know, a lot of people think your your cash flow or the money you make every month is your rent minus your mortgage payment. But there's so many other costs that go into it. And you and just knowing all that information, um, once you figure that out, you'll start to understand what a good property is for you, what your market's like. And I mean, unfortunately, there's some markets where it just doesn't make sense to buy rentals. Right. And so you're saying you, you live in Colorado. So whereabouts? You're in Denver, Colorado. Is that right? I'm north of Denver, about 50 miles in Greeley, Colorado. So most people will have no idea where that is. There's about 100,000 people in our town. And just to give an idea, our median price was about 120,000 in 2012. And now it's over 260,000. Wow. So it's gone crazy. Yes. That's incredible. (laughs) So you talk about trying to identify a property that is under market value. There's a lot of steps to, to identifying that. So Given the fact that you're a real estate agent prior to becoming an investor, did you have a little bit of a leg up on other people to say, oh, I know this property is being listed in an area which is definitely worth a lot more than what they, they want for it? So how do, explain to someone who doesn't have that, that you know, real estate agent background to where can they go to find that sort of information out? Yes, um, being an agent is a huge advantage. Um, like you said, of knowing the market, you're out in the field every day, you're looking at new listings all the time and it just gives you a really good idea of what market value is. So I encourage a lot of people who I talk to to become agents if they want to be a serious investor. They're buying multiple houses a year. Um, but if you're not an agent, you know, you're not out of luck. There's, there's ways to figure that out. Um, one thing is to have an awesome agent who can help you figure out values. That's one thing an agent should be really good at. And then um, just seeing as many houses as you can, seeing what's for sale, um, looking at what's sold. So, you know, good agents can give you sold comparable properties to show you what's selling in a neighborhood. And the more you see, the more you look at it, 
the more you'll start to get an idea of what houses are worth, where they should be priced. And when those good deals do pop up, you'll be like, oh, that radar is going off. Um, sure. you know, I don't need to jump on it. Right. Or you'll start to see signs of properties where maybe a low offer could be accepted. It's been on the market longer. It needs some work. There's some wording in the MLS that will indicate they'll take a low offer. Right, right. And so for all the, you know, this podcast is about international, educating international investors about the awesome US real estate market and cash flowing opportunities. So for someone who's living overseas or looking from overseas to invest here, are there any websites out there that you could suggest to help people get their head more around understanding the market and understanding what properties are worth in sort of certain suburbs of, of that particular market? Um, yeah, I mean, Zillow is a decent site i don't like their um zestimate for you know neither do i (laughs) (laughs) i think it can be way off but i think they have really good graphs and charts as far as historic housing prices and the number of listings and areas um investability.com is an interesting site which i think they pull information from zillow but then they also give you kind of rental estimates yield estimates um that's another great site and just kind of looking at not really what those websites say a house is worth, but looking at what's for sale in areas, that gives you a pretty good idea of what things are, are going to sell for. Right, right. No, I, I definitely recommend to everyone out there is like trying to just immerse yourself as much as you can. And I think having a good agent on your team is really, really important. Someone who's boots on the ground, who knows the ins and outs, the sort of nooks and crannies of, uh, of the different types of market. So, you know, we, you know, we're looking at how to identify your different market value. But when you do a walk through a property, if you are walking through a property or you're one of your agents are walking through a property, what do you like to look for to, to identify the certain value add, you know, components to make sure that you get the maximum rent when you do eventually rent it out. Right. I mean, um, you know, looking at when you're first buying a property, I know you do a lot of multifamily investing, large apartments. You like to add value, increase rent. I mean, you can do the same thing with single family homes where you're looking at houses. Maybe they have basements with a couple rooms, but they're not really set up as bedrooms. You could maybe convert them to bedrooms, increase the rent significantly, adding a bathroom here or there, and just making general repairs, maintenance, things like that can really add value. But um, really looking at you know, Craigslist, uh, the Zillow postlets, seeing what houses are renting for. Some sites like Rent-A-Meter, uh, Rental Range are okay for estimating the rents, but I wouldn't rely on those just like I wouldn't rely on his estimate. Um, but you'll start to see the differences between like a three-bedroom, a four-bedroom, a five-bedroom. And there can be a big difference in rent between those but not as big of a price difference when you're buying. So maybe it makes sense to buy a four-bedroom for $5,000 more than a three-bedroom just because the rent will be $200 more a month and you can narrow down what properties you really want to buy. Right, right, right. And so talking about niceties, like obviously if I'm if I'm an out-of-state investor or an international investor and I don't know what other places – you know, rent for that, not what they rent for, but like what the type of cabinets they have or the type of countertops. Do you recommend like quizzing your particular your rental a- or your real estate agent on the type of fixes that are like the niceties to have and the, the must dos, so to speak? Yes, I think especially for international or even out of state investors, a lot of investors in the US who maybe live in California and will invest in right. Florida. Right. And it's kind of the same situation. Um, you need to have an agent or a property manager or preferably both of them working together. I mean, you could have an agent who is a property manager as well, but I think it helps to have 
two different eyes and ears looking out for you. And you can ask them, hey, you know, what's, I'm expecting 1200 to rent for this three bedroom because I see that on Craigslist all the time or, or the postlets, or you've told me it'll rent for that. If I have laminate counters and stock cabinets, is that expected for this? Or am I going to have to put in granite? What do the other rentals have? A lot of it depends on the, the local trends and what's typical there. In my area, you don't have to have anything fancy to rent houses. They'll rent without that. But if you're in another area that has a ton of rentals, you're doing high-end rentals, you might need to splurge on those items. Right, right, right. And so talk a little bit about your current portfolio. Is it all within the area that you live in right now, the 16 properties that you own? All of them are within 10 miles of me, except for one I bought in Cleveland. So <laughs> that was kind of, that was a turnkey rental. It was already rented. It was kind of an experiment. I bought it in my IRA retirement account. Um, had some money there that was in the stock market, and I just despised that I was still investing in the stock market. So I, I bought this property there as an experiment um, to see how it's gone. And it's actually, it's, it's been interesting and, and been fun having that property. Nice, nice. And so you picked up some of your rentals for around $100,000. Is that right back in 2012, 2013? Yeah. So the first property I bought was 2010. I bought it for 96000 and it rented for $1,050 a month. And I think it needed $3,000 in repairs when I bought it. Really? Is that it? Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was a smoking deal. Um, that same house now I think is worth probably 220,000. Nice. Yeah. It's been insane. Um, and then, yeah, prices went up, but I bought some houses for, I think 88,000 was my cheapest rental. Um, my most expensive one was 142,000. Um, some needed a couple thousand in work. Some needed 15,000 in work. But um, the rents all range now from about twelve hundred to sixteen hundred a month. Nice, that's a huge, huge rental bump. And the the area that sounds to me like it's a quite a nice area. Then I guess you're renting it. Um, I like it. I mean, we're we're just off the mountains, about fifteen miles. So Colorado's kind of half the Rocky Mountains and half plains, and so we're in the plains, but real close to you know fifty miles from Denver, thirty miles from the mountains. Um, I love it here. Nice. I'm sure you get a lot of uh, outdoor activities, skiing, hiking, all that sort of good stuff, right? Oh, yes, for sure. Nice, nice, nice. Talk to me a little bit about the metrics that someone or an investor should look at when you're looking at a single family property to rent uh, in terms of you know expense ratios or what are the certain expenses that I would be expected to pay on a single family? You know, I, I talk a lot about multifamily on the show, but mm -hmm. single family is a little different. Right. And, and one thing I like about single family is there aren't, as many expenses sometimes as multifamily. Like with my properties, the tenants pay every single utility. They pay gas, electric, water, they mow their own lawns, um, they pay for all that. They pay their own trash. It's all on them. So not only do I have to not worry about paying that on my side, which makes it easier to manage, I don't have those expenses. And then a lot of times they will take better care of the properties, not always, but sometimes because it's their own house, they feel like they're living there, they might be there a while, it's not an apartment where they are trying to move up to something better. And many of my tenants, it will be there multiple years. Um, my parents have had a rental with the same tenant in there for 17 years, it's crazy. So that makes it a little easier to manage as well. But um, some of the metrics, you know, when you're looking at expense ratios, the 1% rule seems to be very common where you want your rent to be kind of 1% of the price you pay for the home. So if you're getting $1,000 a month in rent, you'd want to pay $100,000 for the property. Um, some people will mention the 2% rule, which I think is a little unrealistic unless you're 
buying twenty, thirty thousand dollar properties, which is a whole nother Bold story. I, I try and stay away from those because of the maintenance and everything and turnover will, will usually be very high on those. Um, and the expenses themselves can vary state to state. So that's something for international investors to really look at. You know, um, if you go to New York and you buy a $200,000 house, your taxes might be $8,000 a year on that house. Where if you come to Colorado, that same house, the taxes might be $1,200 a year. Texas has high rates, New Jersey, Illinois, um, Florida, Colorado, very low rates. So that's something to look at. Um, you're going to want property management. You know, that can range from 8 to 10% usually. Um, of the gross income, right? Right, yep, of the income coming in. You're going to want to look at the utilities. And if, you know, you have it vacant, you will have to pay those utilities. Um, so that's something to consider, even though most of the time the tenants pay them. Uh, HOAs are something you really want to look at if you want to buy condos or newer houses that might be in a homeowners associ association. You know, a condo could have $200 a month or $500 a month HOA fees, which really cut into your cash flow. There's quite a few things to look at, but really, um, when I'm looking at a rental property, I want to write at, down what my rent is, what my mortgage payment is, taxes, insurance, estimate you know five or ten percent for maintenance every month. You always have to assume there's going to be some repairs at some point, and um, maybe five to ten percent for vacancies as well when you have turnover. And um, that's about how I like to estimate them. That's really about it. So you've got vacancies, you've got um, you, potential utilities, you're going to have insurance, property taxes, uh, and mortgage. This is to determine cash flow, not expenses, because mortgage doesn't really come into an expense. Um, right. That's, a, that's roughly about it, right? There's sort of four to five line items, correct? Yep. And, and maintenance, because maintenance, you, know, yep. Yep, you might fix up a house perfect before you rent it, but at some point, you know, you're going to need to paint it, carpet. You might have a, one bad tenant that you know, makes up for years of no maintenance at all. <laughs> so, um, and I like to kind of change my maintenance number depending on how old the house is, what kind of shape it's in, you know, 5% for some, maybe 10% for others, depending on the property. Right, right. And talk, talk to me a little bit about deferred maintenance. Obviously, some of your properties uh, would be a little bit older. And the, the reason why you're getting them so cheaply is because maybe the roof needs, needs replacing or the HVAC system needs replacing, plumbing might need to be replaced. If I'm doing that sort of stuff up front, will I have less maintenance and repairs expenses later on down the track? Oh, for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, the more you do up front, the less you're going to have in the future. And, and one thing I've always looked at with rentals too, because, you know, I flip a lot of houses as well. And with my flips, I'm not really concerned about how old the house is, how much work needs to be done, because I'm even getting my money back out as soon as I sell it. But with rentals, I'm concerned with how much cash I'm putting into it, how many repairs there are, because I don't want to tie up $50,000 in repairs. You know, maybe I can refinance that back out later, but still it's a lot, a big cash outlay. So I try to buy properties that are 30 or 40 years old or newer, and then you know, I really like to have properties that have been updated already. You don't have to do all the plumbing. You don't have to do all the electrical. A roof is not too difficult um, for me to do. It, you know, $4,000 for a, a roof on a 1,000-square-foot house is pretty common. But yes, you know, I try to fix the main issues before I get it rented. We do new carpet, new paint. Um, Want to make sure the hot water heater 
is not old because that's one way to ruin a really nice rental is if your hot water heater rusts out and floods your house. Um, Want to make sure the furnace is safe. You know, that's something that's very important. So um, safety issues, of course, and um, then making sure the house, you know, looks decent as well. Right. And do you have a rough rule of thumb that if expenses or deferred, sorry, deferred maintenance issues are cropping up when you're inspecting a house, what's your sort of ratio? If it goes, say, above, I don't know, 20% of what the property's worth, you sort of just, this is too much, this is too much of a headache, I'm going to walk away and look at another deal. Do you have any anything like that to fill for the listeners? Um, you know, that's a good question. I would say around 15% if I had to put a number on it or less. You get over that and I think it's just too much cash going to it unless you're kind of using the um, buy it with cash to begin with and refinance it, you know, after it's all repaired. Then, you know, you can get more of your money out. It's not as big of a deal. But if you're buying up front, you're not going to refinance it, or maybe you're getting a loan to begin with, you're not going to refinance. I'd say about that that 15%. Nice. Okay. That's, that's, I think that's a good, accurate for a single family. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you're finding good cash flowing deals in expensive markets. Yes. So um, that can be tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, very like tough. In my market, you know, I, I, I bought five rentals last year, and almost all of them were from the MLS, the multiple listing service, which is where homes are listed. Being an agent is a huge advantage and just being patient and waiting for those deals to come up. A lot of them need work. And then when a deal does come up, I mean, I'm jumping on it as soon as I possibly can. And that's one huge advantage of an agent. I can see a house pop up in MLS, you know, and go look at it in half an hour, have my assistant write an offer on it, sign it on my phone and have it sent to the seller and hour or two after I see it listed. And that gives me such a huge advantage for finding them. And then, you know, looking at properties where I got a house under contract as a flip today, where they put it on the market for 135000 It needed a lot of work, but it went under contract twice, fell apart both times. And, you know, that just tells me, hey, those sellers are probably getting sick and tired of their contract falling apart. So I sent them an offer of 100000 they counted me at 110. I'm like, okay, deal, let's do it. So there's there's certain signs, certain things you can look for to see where those property or sellers are more motivated. Right. And I guess it goes back to what you said at the beginning of the show was that you know your market so well that if anything does pop up on the MLS, you're just snapping it up straight away. And that's your sort of a competitive advantage in your market, correct? Correct, for yep. sure. Yep. yep. And, and then being an agent has also, um, I've made contacts with wholesalers in the area. So I've bought some wholesale deal, deals that weren't on the MLS. And um, there's auction sites you can look at. Hubzoo is a good site for people out there. Um, the foreclosure sale, I've bought some properties through that, you know, the local foreclosure sale as well. Um, there's lots of different ways to find deals. And is there a way that, you know, you could say to someone out of state or international to say, hey, Mark, I want you to send me uh, the best little deals that you've got. I'm sure you want to keep most of them for yourself. But is there a way that someone could could sort of partner up with you or say, you know, to make sure that they are getting a cracking deal? Um, yes. I mean, honestly, I don't work with investors myself anymore right. um, because I'm doing so many other things. And it's slightly a conflict of interest because, as you <laughs> <Yep>. said, <laughs> yep. I am looking for those deals myself. But um, I've got a number of people on my team who work with investors all the time. You know, they know what good deals are in the area, can really educate people on what to look for. And I've got a strict policy where I don't want them telling me what their buyers are looking for. I'm not telling them, you know, what I'm doing. So it keeps it separate and keeps us, you know, not 
stepping on each other's toes. Keep you honest, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and talk to me finally about the finance, how you're financing your deals right now. Are you using conventional financing? Are you trying to do you know, a bit of hard money? I, I could imagine for your flipping and for your rental business, it's a little bit different. Um, yes, for sure. And actually, I use the same bank for a lot of my stuff, but it's different programs. And when you're a citizen in the U.S., it's obviously much easier to, to get loans and international yes, buyers. Um, but once you get to four mortgages, it can be more difficult for U.S. citizens. I ran into that problem where the big banks don't even want to lend to you after you have four mortgages. So I found a local bank that works in Colorado mostly. They had no problem giving me loans on, I have 15 mortgages on with them, long-term mortgages, including my personal house. And... Um, I have seven of my flips are financed through them right now as well. So yeah, they, um, they will do a program with the rentals where it's a 30-year amortized loan, um, five-year or seven-year adjustable rate. So the interest rate will be fixed for five years or seven years. It can go up after that, but it's not a balloon payment. So they can't call the loan due, but your rate can go up. And um, yeah, and the rate's... Four and a half percent right now to start out with, very low, and one um, percent origination fee you have to pay up front for the rental properties. And yeah, it's been a great loan for me. I think there's a lot of local banks out there who can help investors, and a lot of these local banks will work with international investors as well. Right. They're hard to find, but they are out there. <laughs> no, I think I think you you hit the nail on the head just then was that you established a low, uh, you know a credibility with a local bank and you know the top four banks or the top six banks in America have that rule of no more than four personal mortgages, but you've seemed to be able to show track record to a local bank and they like you, so they want to keep doing business with you because you're 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 worth something to them, right? Right, for sure. And I refer people to that bank all the time as an agent, as an investor. You know, they appreciate it that I'm telling you know, I'm sending people their way. And on the flips as well, I've got two local banks I work with on the flips. And once in a while, you know, lately, the one bank I've worked with for a long time said, hey, we're, we're over 30 days now to close a flip loan, which makes it really difficult. You know, you, you want to buy those properties fast. And so I'll say, okay, I'll check, check with the other bank and see if they can do it any faster. And then Surprisingly, the, the first bank says, oh, our president said we can do it faster now. I'm like, okay, uh, great. <laughs> yeah. As soon as a little bit of competition comes in the air. I love yep. it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, all the, all the listeners out there, it's very key takeaway from what Mark just said. Establish relationships with your local bank. That's what I did when I first moved to the United States. Uh, I had no credit, and a lot of international investors will have zero credit when they first come here. But if you can prove to a local bank that you've got rents coming in, you open a bank account, you deposit checks, that is very, very key to when you say, hey, can I get a mortgage with you? And they say, sure thing, let's let's try and work something out here. So Mark, are you working with any international investors right now? Um, you know, I don't work with a whole lot of investors as a partner or really um, holding their hand through the process, but I talk with a lot of people on my blog through email, you know, giving advice, responding to comments, and there are a lot of international people who um, have asked me for advice to help them. And so I don't really work directly with them, but I definitely see where they're coming from, have, have learned a lot about their struggles right. and the 
difference between U.S. and international real estate is just crazy. Yes, and that's the whole point of this show, right? To educate yes, exactly. those people to 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 watch out for those pitfalls because I've been through it, you've been through it, and it's all the same. But it's a little bit harder getting set up and getting the financing. That's probably the biggest hurdles that uh, any international investor faces is getting financing uh, here in the United States. It's uh, it's pretty pretty tough, but there's ways out there and. Um, one of those takeaway pieces of advice I definitely would recommend is forming uh, relationships with a local bank. So, Mark, I know you are primed to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? All right, let's do it. Mate, what's the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goal? Um, I, I am so bad at this. But <laughs> I, I try to take at least 10 or 15 minutes every night, go into my home office, write down kind of in my journal what I did that day, and then review my goals and try to meditate a little bit and just clear my mind. So I try to do that every day. I don't always get to it, but it's when I do it every day, I just feel so much better, so much more on focused and relaxed. And then I also put a little sign up on my computer monitor that just kind of lists my goals as well so that I can be reminded of what the big picture is. Right, right. What's your uh, what's your long-term goal right now? Um, you know, I've, always, I've wanted to have 100 single-family rentals. Mm -hmm. That's been a goal I've written about and talked about a long time. Um, I'm kind of getting off track a little bit because our market changed so drastically. Um, but I still have that goal. And um, I'm not afraid to change my goals either. You know, you can you can have the biggest goal in the world that seems awesome ten years ago, but you can't always factor in how the economy will change, the market will change, all that. So, I've kind of looked at some different aspects like commercial investing and, and different ways to to keep buying rentals. Nice, nice, nice. What's uh, who's the most influential person in your career to date? Um, you know, my father was very influential with helping me to flip, learning real estate. Um, so I have to mention him and someone else who really helped me a lot was I did a Jack Canfield personal coaching program. So I didn't actually work directly with him, but with one of his coaches and they really helped me with the personal, um, motivation, mindset, goal setting, and, you know, the confidence to, you know, I bought out my dad's business a few years ago and there's no way I thought I could ever do that. And I hired, you know, my best friend to be my manager, all these other people we've hired. And it just, before I went through that to learn, I didn't think I could ever do that stuff and just get, gain that confidence, figuring out, Hey, things aren't as really as scary as you make them out to be. It really helped me. Nice. Yeah. I think that's so important is having a mentor or someone you could look up to or a coach to show you the sort of the way and that things aren't as scary as they seem once you learn you know, the ropes once you learn the, the path, right? So, um, Awesome stuff, mate. Uh, what's the most influential tool in your real estate business and why? Um, it has to be my phone. I know that's kind of generic, but <laughs> um, you know, I drive around looking at a lot of houses. We drive around inspecting properties, making sure our contractors are doing things well. And being able to sign a contract using DocuSign, which is a program on my phone, is so important. Being able to text my team and say, hey, make an offer on this house for 150000 and they'll have it back to me in 10 minutes. Um, so really the technology of, of having all the apps and everything on my phone, take pictures, take videos, all of that, and be able to instantly communicate is just is a life changer. 
Right, right. And uh, my, I completely agree with you because having all that stuff at your fingertips whilst you're so mobile these days is incredible. And I'm sure having all your systems set up within your team to be able to just boom, 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 as you said, text someone, I want an offer in, do it. Next 10 minutes later, it's, it's, it's over to the seller. So, so good stuff, mate. Uh, and where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Um, yeah, my blog, investformore.com is the best place. It's invest and then F-O-U-R more.com and that name came from the whole idea of getting more than four mortgages so that's how I came up with that <laughs> and nice. um, you can email me mark at investformore.com I'm responding to everybody myself I don't have any email checkers or anybody and I uh, love talking to people hearing from people and I think I've got over 400 articles on my blog now and like you said you know I've, I've got four paperback books out in the podcast, um, just trying to share as much as I possibly can. Killing it, mate. Just personal content, personal branding. Love it. I love that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> mate, last question before we, uh, before we kick off the, or finish the show, I should say, is the number one piece of advice you can give to international investors or someone who is uh, foreign wanting to buy U.S. real estate? Right. Um, you know, one thing that just popped into my head we were talking about earlier, you're talking about pitfalls of international investors. And there are a lot of companies out there who are looking to take advantage of people with the whole out-of-state, out-of-country investing. And turnkey rentals are huge right now, where you buy a property, it's already rented, repaired, managed. There are some good turnkey companies, but there are some really bad ones as well. So, I mean, do your due diligence as much as you can if you're going to go that route. Um, have a third party check out the properties if you can. Don't be afraid to hire a home inspector to look at the house for you. Um, don't be afraid to have a real estate agent pull a value for you on those. The turnkey companies might not want you to. They might resist all that, which may be a sign that you're onto something. That they and and you and you might be paying more than retail for some of those properties. That's because they want a premium for doing all the work, and that's not always a bad thing. But you want to make sure you're not paying like twenty percent more than it's worth. And the and one other thing I've seen pop up lately too is this turnkey flip idea where you're buying a property this company will find it for you hire contractors and make you 20% on your money and it just it doesn't make sense on any level that it would work out that way and it almost never does so be very careful of the turnkey flip concept it's nearly sounds like a private money lending like are you becoming a lender there or they've got a lender involved at the same time as well like that seems really muddy those words. right well private money would make sense that would make sense to me because you know you're giving them money you're getting what 10 percent, maybe even in some deals a 50 percent split of the right. profits but in this concept you're buying a house you're paying a pretty high fee to them for buying it, you're paying a pretty high fee for them to manage the contractors, and then you're paying them a fee to sell the house for you as well. So basically, all their fees are guaranteed, but the profit is not guaranteed. So you kind of hope there's some money left over for you. And my question is, why aren't they doing that themselves if they're yeah. such deals? Yeah, like it nearly sounds like they're just becoming a general contractor. Right, right, you with know. a bunch more fees added on. Exactly, yep. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, thank you so much for dropping by and chatting with us today. You've absolutely given us some incredible insider information on how to build your rental 
portfolio. And I know you've been, you know, just to recap on the, some of the stuff that you said, you know, understanding your market, partnering with a local real estate agent who can help provide you awesome listings and, you know, get your, get your feet wet and, or, uh, you know, get, get really knees deep into a uh, understanding the market where, and where we are right now. Um, and also just understanding the sort of pitfalls about what international investors can avoid, particularly in turnkey investing and not paying too much. Thanks for dropping by and chatting with us. Have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Oh, thank you, Reed. I really appreciate it. And, and thanks for having me on the show. Awesome, guys. Well, I hope you guys got a lot of awesome, actionable advice to take away and start investing in US real estate. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Mark. It will be on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com. Make sure you click on the podcast tab. Whilst you're there, make sure you sign up to my wine and cheese events that we host in downtown LA. And remember, if you are in the LA area, please shoot me, uh, shoot me an email, hit me up. I always love going for a beer or coffee. Read at rsnpropertygroup.com. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Happy investing.